Welcome to California Groundbreakers, which focuses on the place that starts trends, starts movements, and shakes up how things are done nationwide and around the world. We're inviting interesting people doing innovative things to sit down and talk with us about how they're asking and answering the big questions facing all Californians. Our goal is to inspire change across the state, one conversation at a time. We've created a podcast series called This Changes Everything, which focuses on what California will look like in the post-pandemic future. We're talking with California groundbreakers about how they see the Golden State changing for the better or for the worse, or still to be determined, as we move out of shutdown. If you like what you hear, please help us continue by making a podcast creation donation. Click on the Support Us link on our SoundCloud podcast page or on the Donate tab of our website, californiagroundbreakers.org. The pandemic has changed the way we bought stuff, but will it change permanently? Shopping malls turned into ghost towns during the lockdown, but with easing restrictions, people are stepping out again to retail centers. However, the pandemic led to a major surge in internet shopping, which forced many retailers to develop their online offerings at a much faster pace. That pivot, in turn, has challenged the concept of physical stores. Do we still need them? What's their purpose now? And how should they change to stay relevant? Some other hot topics of discussion are what and why we buy. Do we need to have the same stuff we bought before the pandemic? And do we still need to shop for so much of it? Join us as we talk with two retail experts about where their industry is headed. David Fishbein is co-founder of The Runyon Group, a real estate development firm in Los Angeles that owns, creates, and manages new types of shopping hubs. Rachel Michelin is president of the California Retailers Association. They'll tell us how the coronavirus has shaken up the industry, how our customer spending habits are shifting, and what shopping will look like in the future. Hi, everyone. My name is Vanessa Richardson. I'm executive director of California Groundbreakers, and thank you for tuning in today. So recently, I was thinking about some of my favorite movies I grew up with, and I realized that many of them had to do with shopping for clothes and hanging out in malls, specifically those in Southern California. Like, for example, the 1980s teen classics, Valley Girl and Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Both were filmed in the Sherman Oaks Galleria. Rodeo Drive in Beverly Hills was the place where Julia Roberts shopped in Pretty Women and Alicia Silverstone got some retail therapy in Clueless. And let's not forget Bill and Ted's excellent adventure in the fictional San Dimas Mall, where some historical greats, including Sigmund Freud, Socrates, and Beethoven, were introduced to the place where, as Bill put it, quote, the people of today's world hang out, unquote. But where do people of today's world in the post-pandemic hang out? Not so much in the malls anymore. Empty storefronts and going out of business sales had become commonplace in shopping centers across the country, even before the coronavirus came to town. And that was due to factors like online shopping and changing consumer behavior. And after stay-at-home orders last year forced the majority of stores to close or change the way they do business, the retail industry is now facing an existential crisis. So this episode is all about shopping and the forecast for how we'll be doing it, where we'll be doing it, what we will be buying more of and less of, and how California will shape and be shaped by retail trends in the post-pandemic world. So let me introduce my two guests who are going to give us the present situation of California retail and the predictions of what it's going to be like going forward. We have Rachel Michelin. She's president of the California Retailers Association, which represents the retail industry from big national and online retailers to small brick and mortar shops. 
And Rachel and her team advocate on their behalf in California's public policy arena, the state capitol, city halls, and regulatory bodies across the state. So welcome, Rachel. Great. Welcome. Thanks for having me. And we also have David Fishbein, co-founder of the Runyon Group. It's a real estate company based in Los Angeles, which owns and manages properties and develops innovative retail and restaurant concepts. And one of the Runyon Group's latest concepts, or at least hottest concepts that I've been reading about, is called Platform LA. It's in Culver City, and it's a new type of mall experience, which, according to a recent article in Vogue Business, offers pointers as to how retail might evolve post-pandemic. I'm going to ask him about that. And welcome, Joey. Welcome, David. Excuse me. Thank, thank you for having me. Joey is your other partner. Joey's my business partner. Joey's your business partner. Yeah. So I'm just going to jump right into it. I'm going to start with you, Rachel. Um, I wanted to ask, obviously, the past 15 months has been crazy for everybody. But I wanted to see, based on what you've been seeing and with uh, the retailers that you've been working with, what are some notable uh, panic-induced changes, data points, any interesting things that you have seen the past 15 months that you feel people like me, shoppers, consumers, should know about how we have been shopping and buying uh, during the pandemic? What's been really interesting I think the, the low-hanging fruit when you ask that question is obviously the surge in online shopping. I think people have gotten used to online shopping. They've gotten used to having things delivered directly to their doorstep. I think you're seeing an expansion of that. We've seen a number of startups here in California that all are about delivery and new models in terms of buying smaller brick-and-mortar stores, using them as kind of mini distribution centers in their communities so they can get products to consumers as quickly as possible. So I think you're going to continue to see that. On the smaller scale, though, I think particularly with small retailers, what was amazing about COVID was watching local governments and chambers of commerce come together. Um, you know, we feel like we're always married to the restaurant association and the restaurant industry because usually retail and restaurant is hand in hand. And so you saw a lot of places that closed down streets that had um, curbside uh, shopping available along with the outdoor dining. I think you're going to continue to see that as well, which really draws people in, particularly in their local communities, to support our small retailers. They may not have the opportunity to have the big online presence some of the national brands do. So I think it's going to be fascinating. It goes back to this whole new experience of shopping that I think uh, consumers are dying for after being you know, basically shut in for the past year and a half. We are actually going to do another episode right after this one on the future of restaurants and what that what they'll look like and how they'll be doing. Uh, so thank you for the the plug in that one. Uh, so David, a, a similar question for you, but I wanted you first to to first give us uh, a description of what Platform LA is because I've been reading about it, how it's innovative and new, and it sounds like it's been doing well uh, over the past fifteen months. So just a description of that, and 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 tie it into what you have seen with Platform and other uh, retail developments you've been operating uh, during the pandemic. Yeah, abs absolutely. So to, to kind of give you a little bit of a, a background on Platform, you know, my my business partner Joey and I back in 2010, purchased an old uh, car dealership in, in the Culver City neighborhood of Los Angeles with really kind of this vision to um, create a place in LA that, that brought together independent, interesting restaurants and cool one-of-a-kind boutiques and great services in 
you know, a location that was really walkable, connected by gardens, and that could just be like a really vibrant destination for creatives in Los Angeles who, you know, honestly, were just kind of fed up with seeing the same chains everywhere and really wanted to find a place that um, was, you know, really of Los Angeles where they could find businesses they couldn't find anywhere else. And so, you know, at the time, Culver City was quite a pioneering location for retail. You know, it was never a destination um, for that, those types of businesses. It was always a bit more industrial, but we love that it was so central in LA and was close to all the neighborhoods that um, were great retail districts. So um, about five years ago, the property opened. It's today about 250,000 square feet spread over four acres in Culver City. And it's a mixture of retail and office. Um, and, you know, prior to the pandemic, we were having over a million people visiting each year. So it really become um, a, a kind of a top destination in LA for, for people to kind of find cool new creative businesses. And so the pandemic was really kind of in, in, in very interesting trying time for anybody that was in brick and mortar retail. I think, you know, the first few months of the lockdown, everybody was a bit paralyzed figuring out, you know, how do we move forward? Like, when is this going to end? Are people going to be coming back into brick and mortar again? Are we going to be, you know, shut down for a year? You know, it's it, just a lot of uncertainty. And I think that, you know, for us, we, we really tried to pivot as quickly as possible. So within a month of the shutdowns, we had launched um, a drive-through at the property where we had worked with all of our businesses and said, look, you guys have all of this inventory in your stores that's getting stagnant, whether it's clothing that is already aging because it's going to be last season or perishable food items that need to be sold. We're like, look, we, there's people in LA that still want products, but they're you know, not able to come in store. So let's set up a website and create a, a drive through where we can set up our valet parking garage and have people able to order online and, and come pick up safely and, and, distance. And it was kind of an immediate hit where, where all of a sudden, even people who had never visited the property prior to COVID were, were discovering it and able to come and, you know, get their Aesop soaps or buy bread from their, their favorite bakery. And, um, you know, it was just kind of a, a, a new way of looking at a, a larger mixed use development and kind of everybody got scrappy and, and pitched in to make it happen. So, we operated that for about six months during the pandemic. And, you know, obviously, like many other places, the, the you know, municipality and, and governing bodies, there was a lot of change. There was a lot of, you know, things could open, things could not open. This, you know, this is your occupancy, you know, and then two weeks later, the occupancy changed. And so I think we were lucky um, to be an outdoor property and ultimately, you know, I think that we were surprised by how many people later on in the pandemic just really wanted to connect physically in person and, and see things in person. So we've been very lucky to, to really come out of, of this in a really positive way. Great. I, and I was wondering also, Rachel, you had mentioned, you know, the outdoor, uh, the outdoor setup and uh, David, you too. So that seems to be kind of uh, a thing going forward, short and medium term. And I was going to ask about like, um, what you're seeing for your store, short, mid and long term strategy. Will, will they be, will the storefronts look different physically? Um, 
I keep hearing the term experiential that like retail might have to be more, at least uh, brick and mortar retail will have to be more experiential. So that means will storefronts be set up differently inside and outdoors? Um, you know, what does that look like? Will how they advertise and promote be different based on being an experience? So in terms of, you know, brick and mortar and face to face, what do you see that looking like? Uh, visually uh what kind of experiential experience do you see that being if that's where it's going you know what are the what are those trends there and rachel i'd like to start with you so i think even prior to covid hitting that experience aspect of retail was already starting and it got a little sidetracked when when covid hit but even prior to COVID, you know, some of the national chains, shopping malls and ex as examples were looking to reinvent themselves. You were seeing things like restaurants being put inside the retail establishments. Um, some retailers, you know, higher end retailers were looking at wine events and doing events within the retail establishment where it's an experience. You can come meet your girlfriends, you know, for happy hour while you're shopping, you know, those types of things I think you'll continue to see. I think it depends on the, the type of retail you're going into. You know, we're seeing with big box stores as an example, it is more an interactive, more QR codes you're going to see where you can get more information about products. You can find different things online. The marriage between brick and mortar and online shopping, I think, will continue. Um, you know, in California right now, actually nationally, but you see it in California, we are being affected right now. So while we are seeing the reopening of the economy. We have a supply chain issue in the state. And so until we can really solve that problem and get the supply chain and the logistical system back up and running to where it was pre-pandemic, I don't think you're going to see all of these different experiences. But I think, again, you're going to see how do we get people into the store? How do we create that brand loyalty? I think that is really important. You're going to see new programs coming out from retailers when it comes to their rewards programs and their loyalty shopping and really whatever that I think the most important lesson that we learned during COVID, and I think it was true of the national brands and the smaller retailers was the relationship between your consumers. And you have to nurture that all the time. You can't stop because in a case like COVID where you can't necessarily go into the stores you have to have an opportunity to engage them and reach them. You know, as an example, you if you look at some of the retailers online and, and using Instagram to um, model clothes, right? Because you couldn't try on clothes and how they would use different body types and the technology that's coming out where you can upload a photo of yourself and see how an outfit or a shirt or a pair of pants is going to fit on your body. Those are all things that are going to start adding to that retail experience. And I think there are going to be some exciting changes for the industry going forward. David, what about you? Experiential retail and the future for, for, for your developments, what do you see? Yeah, I mean, look, I think as Rachel was saying, I think it's it's been the direction that the market has been going to for a while. And I do think, um, you know, it's it's really going to be something that's that's here to stay. I think that you know, if anything, to me, the pandemic is going to be driving people back into brick and mortar, especially independent brick and mortar in a way that maybe hasn't been seen for 10 or 15 years. I think that, you know, in the last year, people such as myself, I was not a good online shopper. I became a good online shopper. I, I, I you know, bit the bullet and figured out how to do it. But I think myself included and, and many people I know, like, 
you know, being having something taken away from you, not being able to go in and touch things physically, you know, try things on, talk to your salesperson, like those things, I think people are missing now more than they ever had thought they would have missed in the past. And I think that you're going to see almost like a reversion where like, yes, tech and, and all the digital, you know, activations and, you know, advancements will, will continue and will be great. I think there's going to be a, you know, resurgence of people just wanting kind of a little bit of old school analog face-to-face interaction. And we're seeing that um, at our property where people are just so happy to be in a store to, to see and discover new brands and new product and, you know, find things that, you know, cause the, you can never capture the way the light is going to hit an article of clothing or how it's exactly going to fit your body type. The best technology can get close, but it just can't match that in-person experience. So I think, um, stores are going to continue to place a big, you know, brands will, continue to place a big priority on brick and mortar. I think um, outdoor developments such as ours will thrive. I think this is going to be a further nail on the coffin on indoor malls and and projects that do not have that benefit of outdoor space. And, you know, we've, we've seen it just on our end, like a lot of you know, brands that have smaller five or 600 square foot stores, like, you know, people don't want to be crowded into these little stores. They're working on creating activations that live outside. So, you know, whether it's a wine event or a fitness event, like they're able to use our outdoor facilities to have larger groups that can't or don't feel comfortable in a smaller environment. So it's going to be kind of this interesting, um, you know, kind of combination of the, the interior physical environment and utilizing outdoor space to create something that the consumer feels safe and, and compelled by. I'm going to ask about online retailing because you had mentioned, David, how you got good at it. And so did I and I, a whole bunch of other people. And I think last week was a prime, prime day on Amazon. I'm not a prime member, but I've done a lot of shopping on Amazon. And I do wonder about that, like how much of a threat uh, overall to the retail industry is Amazon and people like me who may just be now used to getting more of our basics on Amazon to retail, especially for you, Rachel, and, and the, the retail industry. Uh, is Amazon a threat uh, or are retailers seeing online uh, with Amazon or online separately as uh, their friend? So retail is one of the most highly competitive industries out there. So um, they're all threats and they're all partners, regardless of how you look at it. So I think, um, you know, all of all retailers, and it's something that we push during COVID, you know, regardless of the size, you do need an online presence, you need a social media presence. Um, we saw that with COVID when stores were shut down, and you couldn't have people in the stores, they suddenly became small distribution centers. So I think you're going to continue to see that. Um, I do think though, people, you know, it's going to be finding that happy balance. Um, you know, there are some people, I mean, and that's just, it's just, call spade a spade, there's still people in particularly in California who aren't comfortable going into public spaces. They're not comfortable going into a retail store. They're not comfortable going into a a grocery store. And so to continue to have the opportunity to shop online and having it delivered to your house, you know, that's a comfort level that I think retailers respect and they, they realize that they have to continue doing that. There's also the ease of doing it, right? And people learned how quickly and easy it was to particularly buy your groceries online, particularly for your staples and have it delivered. I think that's something that people learned. But I do think it's going to be this fine line between finding things online. It's very competitive. So many places now, 
even when it comes to Amazon, you can go into a brick and mortar store, find a product that they sell at a brick and mortar, and they'll match the Amazon price. So you're seeing um, a lot more power being given to the consumers when they shop because they're able to even shop in a brick and mortar store and get those online pricing. So I think you're going to continue to see that. I think that, you know, a lot of it just depends. Um, Distribution centers are big, getting the products in, getting them out, knowing that in different parts of the state, you know, California is so diverse. How are they going to get those products? In some parts of the state, it doesn't make sense to have a lot of online shopping. It's better to have bigger brick and mortar stores so people can go there and, and, and test out the products. You know, retailers spend a lot of time and money in research development. They know their customers, they know their audience, and they know that they have to have this omnipresence and be hitting consumers from all different directions. And I think Amazon forced that to happen faster than probably the industry was ready to do. But I think as you see things evolving, and I think COVID only made that move even quicker because of the emphasis on online shopping. Um, But I think you're going to continue to see all different shapes and sizes of retail learn from Amazon. You know, Amazon, some of the things they do is good, but also there's pushback against Amazon. And I think that you're going to continue to see that as well. You know, Amazon values itself too, that, that the number one seller on Amazon are small businesses. So that's another aspect is how I think you're going to see Etsy has seen a huge growth in terms of what people are selling online. I think you're seeing different platforms that will be coming out in the next couple of years to really give power to small retailers, which I think is great for the industry, to sell their product to the largest number of folks possible, not just here in California, but throughout the country. Hi, this is Caleb Clark, executive producer of California Groundbreakers Podcasts. We're working on more episodes of This Changes Everything, literally as I speak, but putting them together takes a fair amount of time and money. If you like what you're hearing in this episode and you want to hear more of them, you can help us in two ways. First, consider being a Groundbreaker supporter right now by making a podcast creation donation. Click on the Support California Groundbreakers box on the right-hand side of our podcast page on SoundCloud, that's at soundcloud.com slash californiagroundbreakers, or click on the Donate tab of our homepage of our website at californiagroundbreakers.org. And if you have questions to ask about how California will change in post-pandemic times, or you want to suggest a topic to cover, or an expert to interview for an episode of This Changes Everything, Email us at info at californiagroundbreakers.org and give us a few details so we can get in touch. Thanks for lending us your ears and giving us your support as well. David, I have a question for you. Uh, I'm going to start with you first, and then I'm going to move to Rachel with this one about consumer tastes and trends, because obviously there's the millennial generation is the biggest one today. And then Gen Gen Z combined, like, I guess that's the future of, of retail. So just, you know, I, I feel like obviously they have a specific taste and trends that are different from, say, me, a Gen X or, or boomers. One thing I was wondering about was like sustainability um, and I guess fast fashion, right? Um, like maybe that's not so much in trend anymore, uh, buying uh, fast fashion. It's more about sustainable and, and quality things. Um, so I was wondering in terms of consumer taste and trends, what changes um, are you seeing uh, in terms of what's selling and what's not selling? Um, 
and what's going in and out of what's going in and out of style based on that. So let me start with you, David. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting question. I mean, I think that you know, as a as a landlord, we're we kind of write into all of our leases that every tenant of ours reports monthly sales. So it becomes kind of this de facto way over years of having a property to see how different brands and different product categories ebb and flow throughout the year and when they do well and when they don't. And, and certainly during COVID um, and over the last year, we've, we've definitely seen, I think, um, a move towards people really focusing on things that are less commoditized. They're focused on things that, you know, product that they can't find necessarily everywhere. They, they're making investments into jewelry. I'm seeing a lot of jewelry purchases, things that, you know, are never going to go out of value. There's intrinsic value to the stones or to the, to the gold or to the silver, like less about, you know, having four disposable dresses and maybe buying one ring that they'll have for the next 40, 50 years. Um, I've also seen, I think a, a big resurgence in interest in upcycling. You know, we have two pop-ups right now at our property that are both, I think, trendsetters in taking, you know, older garments. We have one guy that, you know, finds all these vintage quilts and old jackets from all over his travels and, and road tripping in America and repurposes them into these beautiful new pieces. Um, and we have another vendor as well that takes old Moroccan rugs and is turning them into these cool sneakers and, and shoes. And so I think that you're definitely seeing um, people being really interested in the idea of like a garment having more lives than maybe just in the the product itself and and kind of you know again being being conscious of of where their things are coming from and just kind of on an interesting side like um we've seen you know on in our women's stores at the property like the amount of people now coming out of the pandemic wanting color and print and and happy looking clothes and wanting to 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 dress for events they might not even be planned yet or going to, but just the idea that there will be events to go to in the future as vaccinations roll up. Like we're seeing so many people coming in, like wanting stuff to go out in. And, and those were things that we didn't know if that was going to happen this year, if it was going to happen next year. And so um, I think people are, are, are really, um, you know, we're affected obviously deeply by what happened and it's starting to, to translate really into how they're dressing and, and where they're, they're looking for. And Rachel, yes, what about these young folks? How are they changing uh, taste and trends and inventory overall in retail? What do you think? So I'd say in retail as a whole, environmental sustainability is one of the top issues. That's a consumer-driven issue. And consumers want to know not just, you know, and, and you're right on upcycling and all that, but where, where are the products coming from? And, you know, what's the supply chain and, and who, you know, and so you're seeing more and more about uh, responsible importing and making sure when it comes to human rights. And, you know, and, and the interesting thing with, you know, the Gen Zs and, and such is that they, you, they'll, if they don't like something, they'll go to social media and they'll, they'll get it out there as quickly as possible. And so I think you're seeing more and more, you're seeing more products in the stores clothes that are made out of recyclable products. You're seeing, um, you know, we have a member company that is all about um, people being able to resell items on their website. Um, you know, nicer items, people are renting things and not necessarily owning them. They're using them for, for one or two events and then returning them. 
You see the thrift shops are soaring. People, a lot of younger people love going to thrift stores and finding those, those different finds. So I think the environmental sustainability piece is with us. I think it's going to continue. And then I think more importantly is going to be being able to track the life cycle of that product and know exactly where it came from, who made it, where, what country it came from, all of those, the ethical treatment of, of both animals and people, all of those things play into it. And that's really become because of these younger generations and they're demanding it. And as you said, they're the, they're the market and they're the new future of retail. So a couple more questions for you both. Um, we talked a little bit about shopping malls. Um, I wanted to know, you know, where goes the shopping mall from now, from here, I mean, and and downtowns, like, for example, Union Square in, in San Francisco. I used to go there when I was a kid. That was like the hub. And now there's so many uh, empty storefronts. So what do you see about how, what we're talking about now, about how retail is being shaped is going to shape downtowns and um, what, where the shopping malls, if they're not outdoors, uh, how are they going to be transformed? So what do you see uh, geographically and physically with those, with those areas? Um, Rachel, how about you first? So there's probably two, those are two different questions. So let me start with the shopping malls. And you know what, what I think is fascinating when you look at your traditional shopping mall, right? Your traditional indoor shopping mall, what you're seeing is that these um, that the folks that are running the malls are bringing in different experiences. So, you know, you're seeing bowling alleys coming in, or you're seeing gyms coming in. You're seeing um, experiences coming in, so that you can kind of come into a shopping mall. They're having to reinvent, reinvent, particularly the large anchor parts, because we've seen some major national anchor stores, Sears being one of them. That, that have gone out of business. And so they used to be staples of these shopping malls. So I think you're seeing them being replaced with these experiences and those, those types of experiences pull people into that mall, which then hopefully, hopefully support all of the little stores within the shopping centers. I think you're going to see rest, more restaurants coming in, you know, as we hopefully in the next couple of years, see the resurgence of restaurants um, and, and see those reopening. I think you're going to see more experiences that really, bring people together so that they can understand and really be part of the fabric of that, that shopping center. So I think you're going to see some creative things coming out of your traditional old kind of old school shopping malls that you didn't see before. Going forward, though, I think most of the malls you're not going to see enclosed shopping malls being built. They're all going to be outdoor malls because I think, A, number one, that's what people like. They like that fresh air. And B, frankly, if you are a retailer who had an outdoor entrance, you were able to be open a lot quicker than if you had an indoor entrance, particularly in Los Angeles County. And so I think people are learning that, that you really have to have that extra entrance to protect um, being able to stay open. God forbid we even we ever face a pandemic. Your other question about downtown, I think that's a whole different conversation because I think the challenge, and you specifically mentioned Union Square, there are other issues at play when you look at downtown that are affecting retail. And one of the big issues, particularly in San Francisco that we're working with is retail theft and quality of life issues. And so that's another piece that, that doesn't get talked about a lot and hasn't been talked a lot about during the pandemic, but has been the quality of life. And when people are fleeing downtowns, which they did during the pandemic, 
they, you know, with remote working, they've been moving to the suburbs. And in a places like San Francisco, where we know they've seen, seen an increase in retail theft and retail crime, that is impacting people going into the stores. So we're addressing that issue as well. Um, but I don't think that, I think that's a solvable problem. And we're working with many entities specifically in San Francisco on that. But quality of life, people want to feel safe. Employees want to feel safe when they shop. And in certain parts of the state, in certain parts of the communities, and uh, communities, that's not happening. And that's what we're doing as an industry to try and change and working in collaboration with local elected officials and law enforcement to make sure that our employees and our consumers have that shape, that safe experience, which then I think will revitalize places like Union Square back to that the shopping method it used to be, you know, years ago. And David is a as a real estate developer, you know, tagging onto what Rachel's been saying. What do you is it uh yeah, all outdoor shopping malls, future of downtowns will look a little different. What do you what do you see? Yeah, I mean to tackle the question about, you know, just the downtown districts, I mean I think there's as Rachel said, a lot of different issues that have come together in a culmination of just kind of these gutting of these previously incredibly vibrant districts. I mean, I was in Soho with my wife in New York a couple of weeks ago and it was in Madison. Now it was just devastating to see the amount of vacancy, but I think, you know, part of this, um, this, this, you know, pandemic and it was happening beforehand with just like the, again, the, the, change from so much retail volume being done online versus just in store was that, you know, so many brands um, were really getting into these situations in these retail districts where they were kind of in almost in this rat race where they, they, a neighborhood would become like considered the hot neighborhood. Like, let's say it was, you know, Soho in New York city at one point. And, you know, it started with the cooler independent brands and, all of a sudden, the larger big chains started moving into that neighborhood, driving rents up. And then all of a sudden, you know, Soho became a place that you could only really be a large brand to, to populate and exist in. Um, but the issue was that, you know, rents at that time were going up so exorbitantly that they weren't aligning with actual volume increases in the sales of the stores. I mean, rent is completely a directly correlated things to sales volumes. If you're not doing sales volumes, you can't afford to pay high rents. And so what you were seeing happening across all these streets and Newton Square was a perfect example. You would talk to brands who were signing leases there and they were like, I'm signing a lease here because I have to, because all my competitors have stores here, but not because like they actually believed they were going to do the volume to justify the high rents that were actually being charged there. And so eventually there becomes a breaking point where all these brands are in these stores with these crazy rents and they're not profitable. They're like, I can't hold on to this. Like this can't happen. And so, you kind of saw this point and COVID again was a big inflection point where they all of a sudden weren't doing any sales and they had these huge rents every month that they were like, this is not sustainable. And so the the, the place where malls and, and mixed use projects have a real upshot going forward is that they have one ownership behind making decisions, behind creating critical mass and co-tenancy again. You know, a neighborhood like Soho or, or Union Square, it's 200 different landlords that own those districts. And they all have different opinions about how to bring the neighborhood back. You know, one might be like, hey, I'm going to take a discounted rent because I know it's going to help me get this really great brand that's going to drive traffic. And you might have three landlords next to him that are like, hey, I bought this building at the height of the market and my lender literally won't let me do a deal that's below asking rent. And so you get to this inflection point where like 
the neighborhood can't come together in a, a path forward because there's all these different parties with different you know needs at the table and where the malls and the mixed use projects really benefit and in, in where we benefit at like a project like platform is that we can we can control our future destiny we're not competing with any other voices at the table we can decide if a brand makes sense to bring into the project if we want to do a lower rent deal to to move things forward and so i think that there's a real opportunity for for growth in those mixed use projects with with that knowledge in mind well it's going to be interesting to see what the future of shopping looks like and is like but i'm i'm inspired to go shop so rachel and david thanks so much for taking your time and talking with us about the future of shopping appreciate it thank you so much take care take care You've been listening to California Groundbreakers, This Changes Everything, episode 16, which was recorded on June 28, 2021. Thanks to David Fishbein of the Runyon Group and Rachel Michelin of the California Retailers Association for joining us. Thanks to Nate Graham and Caleb Clark for recording and producing this podcast. And of course, thanks to you for listening. If you find our podcasts worth listening to in these topsy-turvy times, please make a donation and support our efforts to produce informative and inspiring conversations about what Californians should expect during the post-pandemic future. You can do that, as well as keep tabs on upcoming podcast episodes, events, and other information about us by going to our website, californiagroundbreakers.org.